This episode of Solar Stories is produced by Mouth Media Network and presented by Solar. My job is to just make it possible for any random individual who may hear just to say, I could connect with that. And I think a lot of times audiences feel such a pressure, like, I don't know what I'm hearing, so I don't know if I will get it. That's not what they don't have to worry. That's that's my job. At age nine, violinist Ty Murray made her concert debut with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. After studying at Indiana University and Juilliard, she launched a full-time career as a performer. And before Ty reached the age of 30, she had been a BBC New Generation artist for three years. Today, Ty is a busy working concert violinist, as well as an influencer. In fact, being an active listener and musician enhances her relationship with her followers. Coming up, how a canceled performance in Paris turned into a working relationship with the BBC, how Ty expresses herself through her performance by channeling the voice of the music, how Ty works with Christopher Holland to market her talent and give her the exposure to push her career to the next level, and finally, Ty graces the studio with an exclusive and moving performance. I'm George Manley. You can find Ty on Instagram at Ty Murray Violin and her story in this episode of Solar Stories, the art and business of influence. So Ty Murray. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for coming today. Thank you for your time. It's my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for being part of the solar community. Yes. Um, I'll say right off the bat, I may be a little distracted because I can't wait to hear you play. (laughs) (laughs) Ty is going to play for us at the end of the episode, so you all have to stick around to hear her incredible talent. Um, Well, Ty, as we might have talked about a little bit, um, Solar Stories is really for you. Um, it's a celebration of you, not only as a thank you for being part of the solar community, but also it's an attempt to go deeper, ideally, than what you get to sort of share in your public persona every day. Um, Mm -hmm. not so much like what are your, uh, vulnerabilities, but Mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe what do you want to share with the world that you don't really get a chance to kind of talk about much. Okay. And then in conjunction with that. Solar Stories tagline is literally the art and business of influence. So how do you um, and how have you sort of uh, built yourself up as a person of influence, right? Not only in your playing and in the way that you present yourself, but also your online personality and your uh, the the people that you choose or not choose to do business with or align yourself with, all of that, right? Yes. Because um, people that like the core audience of this podcast are really people that either are in the solar community yes. and they want to learn about the other people in the community or they're people that are um, uh, sort of in- inspired to become bloggers or influencers or they're chasing a dream, right? Yes. So they mm-hmm. want to learn like, what's the, what are, what is anything I can learn to sort of get there faster, right? Yes. So why don't we start with your story? <laughs> well, my story includes the fact that as a musician, I've really come to learn that listening is an active pursuit. So when I'm presenting a piece of music to an audience, uh, which could be one person or could be thousands of people, 
there is a give and take there. It's not just a one-way street. And so to extrapolate to what the word influencer means to me, it can be dangerous because influencer could uh, include uh, the act of manipulation. Mm. But if the person being influenced is involved, is actively involved, then there's a choice on both sides. And so the manipulation is... is um, negated. And so that's that's something I I find extremely exciting about the entire platform of solar. Are you thinking that uh like being someone's follower on Instagram that in itself is participation because they're choosing to follow someone? I think in an ideal situation, yes. Okay, so that's okay in your mind. And yes. what would be a, a not okay scenario where well, there is real manipulation going on? Well, I think if you take the same platform, uh Instagram and then you know, just if I were to, in my own mind, be contacting people through posting or through DMing and just not hearing the response or oh, not yeah, acknowledging yeah. that there is or could be a reaction. So I think it's just being open to that and realizing this is not a one-way street. I'm not pushing myself on people. I am hoping to give give and take with another person. So I want to hear your story. I mean, as far back as you're willing to go. I mean, I'd like to start with where you're from, but I do yes. have one one question about okay. what you were just saying. Yes. How do you do that in a piece of music when you're performing? How do you listen when you're performing a piece of music? Students ask me that all the time. I do a lot of masterclass teaching on the road, mostly. Um, and it involves, in a way sort of existing in the future because I I have to hear what I'm playing before I play it otherwise I don't know how I want to play it and I, and I also have to be aware of the past meaning the reaction of of an audience which is not the point of why I'm playing the reaction of the audience but it is a very um I would say just not even an important part it's like an essential part of of the communication of music um, so then, so then I, it's just about not taking myself so seriously, but taking the music that I'm playing seriously so that I can mean what I'm saying musically. <laughs> so I, we have to say, I mean, I want to hear your full story, but we have to say right off the bat that you are one of the greatest living violinists of our time, right? You can say that. I don't know. I'm going to say that. <laughs> I mean, there's many out there, but not many in terms of, um, uh, you know, relative numbers, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking mm -hmm. about a few hundred people at, right. at most. Mm -hmm. And it's a very uh, uh, protected art form in the yeah. sense that there aren't a lot of people yes. that reach your level, mm -hmm. not only because they're not talented enough, but also because it's not something that's as pursued mm -hmm. as some of the other arts, right? right. Mm -hmm. So um, it's another reason why I'm so excited to say that you're going to be performing shortly. Um, but let, let, let's hear a little bit about your story because I, I want to know like how, how does, how does Ty Murray become Ty Murray? <laughs> oh dear. Well, let's see. Well, how do I even start? I, um, where'd you grow up? I'm originally from Chicago, but I think the more pertinent part about the beginning of my story is that it started with a Y because I was, um, adopted at birth basically. Um, and that... What do you mean, basically? Like, well, because I think it was some months before an adoption oh, was I actually, <laughs> you know, complete and all that. But but I was 
um, in the system from birth, let me put it that way. And then I ended up with my family pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I that that could have ended up in many different ways for me, I think. And so the fact that I had that grand, great fortune right at the beginning, something that was never um, hidden from me, it was never a secret, um, it allows me to recognize that when I have a chance to go for something, that it's really okay to do that. And the violin is my thing that I have always just gone for with no reservations whatsoever. And I think that has to do with the, I love it. I love the music. I physically love holding a violin, except when I'm having to walk down a New York street with this case. <laughs> um, what, why is that? I think that's, well, it's, it's just, important for the audience to know. <laughs> well, not to complain, but it is, it's an actual box, wooden box that is basically permanently attached to my person. Right. But then just the part about New York is that it's busy. So you don't want to hit people with it, right. <laughs> you right. know, walking down the street. Oh, I uh, thought you were also worried about its extreme value. And it getting, oh, like, well, you know, but, or... well, that's well, of course, I would be like silly to say that I don't know it's <laughs> on paper value or don't understand it's on paper value. Right. But actually, deep down, I really don't care. Right. That's because not that's not what it you. is. Right. There's yeah. value. That has nothing to do with it. You know, it, it's it's the voice that I that we are able to make together. That means everything to me. Amazing. Okay, so you grew up in Chicago. At what point did you get introduced to the violin uh, well, or music, I, for that matter? Well, I think music was a a part of my family life from the beginning, as far as I can recall. Um, as far as the reason why I ended up with the violin, according to my mother and to my aunt and to my grandmother, I just asked for it when I was two and I kept on asking for How it. How did you know to ask for it? How did you know it existed? I did somebody in your family have, play or not the violin specifically, no. Um um I my uncle is a trumpet player. I did not know him though growing up. He ironically moved to Germany when he was like in his late teens. And oh, then, so he was a professional musician. Right. He was okay. a people play with Sun Ra Orchestra and yeah, great jazz musician. Um and so but I but I must have seen and heard someone play, you know, violin. And I just kept on asking until until it's like bring it. <laughs> so at what point did you decide clearly there was a passion, but at, at what point did it become a profession or something that you, you wanted to pursue uh, mm-hmm. and be trained in? The emotional connection to it, I cannot remember a time that that didn't exist. The intellectual decision to to say that this is going to take a lot of hard work, time, dedication, and a willingness to go the distance. I had that decision with myself. I would say like 10 or 11 or something. I sat myself down in a room. <laughs> it's like, how much do you love it? I love it. Well, how much are you willing to give to this? 100%. I do promise. Yes, because that's what it's going to take. And I haven't given up on that. I've had some moments where that has been tested just through circumstance, through uh, time, through. But I always remember that I did promise myself to give the best of myself to to the music. And um, I can say now in hindsight that... um, the violin has never hindered me in any way, shape, or form. Have you ever woken up and said, I don't ever want to pick up that thing again? <laughs> no. That's amazing. It really no. is. Mm-mm. That's a rarity. 
for any for any passion, I think. Yeah, I, I would maybe so. Uh, without you know trying to judge, I don't know what's in, you know in other people's experience, but. Um, but even any artist, I mean, I yeah, I think the people that really rise to your level within their craft are either insane, <laughs> like yeah. literally they're 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 so talented there might be something wrong with them, uh, or. Uh, or something different about them, right? Mentally, mm -hmm. their brains wired differently, yeah. or they're just incredibly driven. Yes, or mm -hmm. both. Yes, mm -hmm. but that level of commitment to something is either like an addiction, right, or mm -hmm. a uh, just sheer grit, or right? Both, right, right. Well, that you know, that's I think it's uh, interesting you point that out. That addiction and obsession can become a part of something that you are. Uh, sort of indelibly connected to. But that's why I point out that it has never hindered me. There's ne never come anything negative. I've had never negative experiences in my life, of course, like everyone. But it's not due to the fact that I have this connection with the violin. So how did you, um, you, you studied, right? Yes. Where, where, what was your schooling? Um, well, my, my I, I was homeschooled um, after fourth grade, uh, living in Bloomington, Indiana at the time, I basically spent large portions of the next 10 years. Were your parents professors? No, my mother. That's where Indiana at that University time, is. Yes, right? Indiana University. Yeah. She was at that time a stay-at-home mom. Um, eventually, she was a stay-at-home working mom. Um, but I spent large portions of that developmental period in and out of the what is now the Jacobs School of Music. Um, just, and I think, I, I I now live in Europe. My main base is in Berlin. And I think that's where the kernel was planted, that Europe, there's a land there called Europe, because many of the professors and many of the students were international students. Um, also and, where classical music was born. But yes, that's a good point as well. Yes. <laughs> Um, and at what point did you did you go to a conservatory or where did you get your specialized training? Well, the specialized trainings really started from the very beginning. Oh, okay. My mother is a, has always been a child educator um, and she is now currently um, a, a school teacher. And because of her talent in that area, she was able to find me violin teachers who not only knew the information and knew how to communicate it to me, but also had a respect for what they considered to be an art form. So she was able to find those people for me. So even from the very beginning, I and you know studied privately, eventually went to Indian University, uh, eventually moved to New York for Juilliard. Um, so yes, it's very specialized, very uh, master apprentice, um, situational training um, that just happened to expose me to quite a lot more than just the violin and music. You know. So when you left Juilliard, did you immediately get picked up by an orchestra or how did you start your professional career? Well, it was, it started in an organic way long before my studies were over. Um, I, I mean, at this point, my first professional concert was super a long time ago, but that doesn't mean at that time I had a career. But by the time I graduated from Juilliard, there had already been a trajectory of working um, that I was fortunate was supported by Juilliard, was supported by my teachers, supported by Is my family. Is that typical? 
does Juilliard support all of their artists or is it more only I if think... you're of a certain level? I, I, I don't know how to answer that without sounding rather judgmental. You know what I mean? I think, I guess they would have Just to tell make the truth. that. <laughs> yeah, but, but you no, know, I, I can't tell the truth for anyone else because I feel like oh, I see. what happened in my individual situation may or may not have happened to anyone else. You know, so I think... I just was, I don't want to say lucky, but I was definitely fortunate that they made a a decision that they wouldn't um, recognize my absences for working as being, you know, un- uninvested in my schooling. So, so I, yes, because I definitely learned a lot there. <laughs> well, also, I think they clearly associated with their promotion of you with mm-hmm. your level of talent. Um, let's take a break. Okay. Um, and I want to remind our listeners that uh, at the end of the episode, you're going to perform for us. Thank you so much. Um, and when we come back, I'd like to know, you know, when did you first get over to Europe? Is that where the bulk of your career has been based? And sort of um, what are the highlights of your career so far? To learn more about solar... And to hear more solar stories, visit solar.com or visit our Instagram channel, solar.hq. I can't wait to hear more about when did you get to Europe? Why did you go to Europe? Um, I know you're there now. You're living in Berlin. But also, what are the highlights of your career so far? And in, in your opinion, I mean, other people might say things differently, like the fact that you played at Carnegie Hall a month ago. Um, but in your mind, like, what are the things that you are really um, uh, most excited having done? Well, there's fortunate cir- circumstance supported by being able to grab an opportunity. Um, and that is really, really the core of the reason why I'm physically find myself in Europe a large portion out of the year. Um, Back in April of 2008, I was living in New York City. Um, I had a good um, amount of professional work within the United States, as well as some traveling here and there to other countries. Um, And in April 2008, I received a, a query about coming to play a concert in May 2008 in Paris. I had never been to Paris before. The rehearsals were also in May 2008 in London. I had never been to London before. So, and I said, yes, I really <laughs> want to go. I would like to participate. I would like to 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 experience what that would be like. And um, then about a week later, it was about three in the morning in New York time, I got an email from the person who had asked me, who is a brilliant woman named Chichi Why were you Iwano. up at three in the morning? <laughs> oh, the life of a musician, honey. I have no idea. So, so, and so I just, I, and it said that this concert had been canceled. They decided to pull the plug on the concert. And oh, I just looked no. at that email and I said, you know, I'm going anyway. So I emailed this lady who, Chichi and Wanaku, as I mentioned before, I'd never, she had never met me before. She'd asked me to play this concert, which I loved, but she didn't know me from Adam. And I emailed her back and said, if, um, if I can get myself to London, can I stay, come and stay with you during that period of time when we were supposed to be rehearsing for Mm -hmm. this project? Mm -hmm. She said, yes, I got on that plane and my life 
changed completely. In what way? She, at the time, was a BBC Radio 3 presenter, had her own show. And the her, you know, taping of that show happened to happen during one of the days that I was there. So she took me with her to Broadcasting House. And we sort of entered the building and she was like, well, bring your violin, of course. I was like, well, yes, I'm a violinist. I will do that. So then when we got there, they basically threw me in a room in a recording booth about half the size of this room to play. And, and they turned the mic on and I just did. I just played. And I walked out of that booth and someone had come in the room. Someone else had come in the room. I said, hello, goodbye. And then I saw Chi Chi tape her show. And then about three hours later, I, we got back to her home to a message from the head of someone from another program at BBC who said, I would like you to join the BBC New Generation Artists starting this September. If you had come 24 hours later, it would have been too late. We are making this decision. <laughs> and so that started my commuting back How and forth. How old were you at the between, time? My goodness, I can't do any bad. <laughs> I was at, well, 30, 29. No, no, no. I mean, no, I must have been 26 or okay. something, 27. Okay, so not not – not a teenager and oh, not no and not, no, yeah. no no I'd been I'd been working but I'd been searching for a way to to ameliorate my career situation and I just happened to basically like stumble on that was like such a great gift and I still I I try not to pat myself on the back too much but that decision to go anyway to London is one of the greatest decisions of my life I agree oh my god so um, let's talk a little bit about your uh, connection to music. Yes. So um, as uh, we heard a minute ago, um, I'd really like to know how do you um, how do you express who you are through um, your performance, knowing that it, it may be a piece that other people have heard before, mm -hmm. sometimes mm -hmm. many times in yes. many different interpretations. How do you express that piece uh, using your own personality without um, distorting the piece? I mean, yes. especially, right. you know, if you're in an orchestra, you know, there's the conductor and, and the maestro. A lot of people have um, a specific way they want to see you perform yes. that. Mm -hmm. But how do you inject your own uh, personality? I believe that it starts with respect of the composer. If you're talking about um, interpretive music, um, descriptive music, which I tend to play, um, meaning that I'm not composing the music I'm playing usually. Um, and so if I start with that respect, so take uh, Beethoven, for example, one of his most iconic works and one, one of my absolute favorite just pieces of music in the world is his violin concerto. And something that I am in awe of every time I play any Beethoven is just how crystal clear it is that he is saying what he means. Now, what he means, I don't know. He can't tell me. But what that but if I respect that he is saying what he means, then when I play his music, I have to mean what I say. And so there's there's a very clear um, that's really interesting delineation about yes I am an emotional human being yes I am emotionally trying to connect with whoever I may happen to be playing for um, but there is also a voice in there that is not mine 
So I have to connect mine with theirs. And so in a way that makes their voice the clearest. And it, it takes a lot of work. <laughs> is Beethoven your favorite composer? Whenever I say his name, he is. But that, you yeah, know, yeah, I'll say yeah. somebody else's name. That's also my favorite. Well, I mean, to me, that's the thing that's really interesting about classical music mm -hmm. is that the the uh, the avid consumer of classical music loves the fact that it's a piece of music that may have been written hundreds of years ago, yeah. but every time they hear it, they mm -hmm. can hear it in a new light, mm -hmm. right? Through a new personality. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side of that, what a lot of people f who aren't fans of classical mm -hmm. music right. find boring about yeah. it is that it, it's the same music that's been played for hundreds of years, right? right? With, with obvious exceptions, there's still people composing classical music. But right. mm -hmm. um, so how would you, if, if I was a, a layman, and I'm I pretty much am a layman. I'm a fan of classical music. I live near Tanglewood, as you know, yes. and I I have a lot of uh, passion for receiving yes. classical music. Okay. Mm -hmm. But for somebody at my level, or uh, even further to um, on the spectrum of not understanding classical music, yes. how would you uh, how would you explain uh, that they should or could connect? To classical mm -hmm. music, especially as you perform it, in a way that that's that's is a kernel of my metier to use like a very abstract word for that scenario, right? But my job is to just make it possible for any random individual who may hear just to say, "I could connect with that," and I think. A lot of times audiences feel such a pressure, like, I don't know what I'm hearing, so I don't know if I will get it. That's not what they don't have to worry. That's that's my job. Um, and <laughs> that's, that's, right, right. That does make it more uh, right, exactly. easy to digest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, right. And because it and, is complex music. Yes. It's, yeah. And it's and it's and it's not always meant to be flattering. You know, it's not meant to necessarily be beautiful. Sometimes it's meant to be jarring. Yeah. Jarring, angry, happy or Totally dead, no emotional impact whatsoever. That is also possible with sound and with music. Mm -hmm. So so I think if you just take all the judgments out of the equation on the audience side or on the musician side, all of a sudden there's no reason not to understand anything. Um, I um, Over the last few years, I've been spending some, a fair amount of weeks in uh, Brazil. And during some of those time periods, uh, myself, along with musicians, a group of musicians, we have been going to just random little towns and playing in these massive churches. Oh, yeah. And you would think the, you know, they, there's no, nece not necessarily any personal historical connection uh, with perhaps the kind of music that we are playing. But you know what? The dogs, the chickens, the children, the, the wives, the mothers, the husbands, the brothers, the sisters, everybody, fathers, when they realize that we are only there to give to them, they can take it or leave it, and usually they love it. They connect. And yeah. they don't care that they've never heard it or whatever. That's not the importance for them. Yeah. It's interesting you say that you performed in a church because I equate – to me, classical music really is a sound that is very connected to – Christianity in particular. Yes. I mean, when I yes, think of, you know, so many composers yeah, styles, wrote, yes. well, mm -hmm. they were not only Christians yes. themselves, but, mm -hmm. but they, they wrote and, and their music was performed in churches yes. and, and mm -hmm. all of the above. Yes. Um, 
And and there's a sense. Do you do you perform other music other than classical? I have performed across a, a variety of genres. And this is, uh, I, I like that you just said classical music, because at this point, that's just totally a misnomer. Yeah, of course. You know, so because classical music, we're talking about Mozart. Right, right. But so this, for me, I kind of describe it as descriptive music. This is the kind of music that I play. It may or may not be able to make your body dance, but the idea is that it make your intellect is forced to, to, to move dance. with it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, well, so kind of, and then we'll take a break, kind of bouncing off of the question that yes. uh, I just asked you. So some people find classical music to be uh, a bit highbrow or a yeah. bit like mm -hmm. connected to things such as religion that maybe they don't have, especially right. like, right. you know, millennials mm -hmm. and, and people yes. of, of younger generations. Yeah. So um, it, it feels like as a performer of, of uh, older music, mm -hmm. right, music that yes. was composed hundreds of years ago, yes. there's a lot of challenge in bringing it sort of up to date. Okay. And you're yeah. channeling the composer and you're channeling <laughs> yourself and you're trying to watch the audience. It's like, <laughs> so how do you how do you do all that at once? Watching the audience. <laughs> I, well, I, well, it's a lot of it, there's a lot of trust involved, actually. Um, I mean, I have to trust myself that like, you know, I remember maybe in like my middle teens, I went through like a bit of an, I wouldn't call it an anxiety, but it was just more like, I'm not really so sure about myself, which, you know, who is at 14, right? But there were some times where I would, you know, like right before I would go on stage, I'd be like, now, why am I doing this? And then I go out and play the concert. I come back and I'm like, oh, right. That's why I'm doing this. <laughs> And and now, you know, it's not that. I just, I trust that I am in the moment for the right reason, you know? So it's, it's I mean, it's it's quite a lot of fun. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Well, we can't hear, wait to hear you play momentarily. Um, and when we come back, I'd love to invite uh, Christopher Holland into the conversation. <laughs> so we can talk a bit about, um, you know... Uh, Taya is very different as a client for you because she's a musician and an artist more than she is a person of media, right? Like an influencer type. So I'd love to hear, you know, how you interact with Ty and how that's different from some of the other guests that we've had on in the past um, to sort of help her build up her personal brand. So Ty, I'm, I'm also happy that Christopher Holland is with us today, who is a friend of yours. Hi, Chris. And uh, a brand manager yes. extraordinaire. Uh, and I know the two of you work together. Um, and I'd like to uh, talk a bit about um, sort of the professional side of what you do. Um, how do you... How do you manage... You know, so stepping away from the music for a minute. How do you manage your... Um, online personality? How do you manage your uh, personal brand? How does Christopher help you with that? What do you ask of him? What does he offer up? You know, how does that work? And and specifically, as I mentioned earlier, how is it different from, say, uh, you know, a blogger, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody mm -hmm. who's literally just like trying to monetize their online audience, whereas yes. you mm -hmm. are trying to accentuate your uh, performance personality, right? Right, right. I, um, from a Professional standpoint, I'd say that Chris focuses um, th the only way I can be, which is authentically me, because I know that it's easy uh, on an online 
in an online arena to try to become something you're not really just because it's still, you know, it's a still, you're not, it's not because a the internet's fake. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. The entire thing. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so I, I really don't want to step away from that, but I also don't want to not connect with people who might be interested in connecting with me just because I'm so like in my own, you know, musical violin head. <laughs> so then Chris can help me with that. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you help her? So, um, you know, with brand management, I call it marketing 101 product placement, not to reduce her to a product. However, she is something that should be seen and bought, <laughs> tried, tasted, and experienced. Not nasty, but I'm saying like, <laughs> she has a gift and she is a gift. And I feel like in order to promote the exposure of that gift, I mean, because music means to inspire. And with everything that's going on in the world, music is one of the few things that people can tap into to give them some sort of breakaway, you know, and she's got a gift. And I feel like being able to maximize the exposure of that will be giving spreading the gift around. And so social media is a tool, amongst other things, uh, such as what? Um, I mean, whether it's, you know, they've also like other means of, of exposure, like red carpet, you know, events, press, you know, um, and as far as social media, not just Instagram, YouTube, uh, you know, Twitter, whatever, like all of that is reach. And you use all of these tools to help maximize the exposure. And if there was anybody whose exposure needed to be maximized, it would be Ty. Like, and I feel like what we're finding out, because she didn't even have an Instagram until like what? Like a year ago. Not even. No, it was like October or something. No, it was in February because I started it during really? fashion work. Fashion week. Oh, right. So it's been a little <laughs> yeah, bit over a year. You're yeah. her manager, right? <laughs> it's been a little bit over a year. You sure we're talking no, to the right that's person? That's how it wasn't so wasn't moving. No, no, no. We started to push. <laughs> yes. We started to push in October, and uh, I'm getting you later. And um, when we started to push, um. We noticed that there was like a quick response and it started to kind of catch like wildfire. And she is just under like 9,000 now. And she had maybe 300. And that was, you know, when we really started to. Really I haven't push, even hit 500 yet. When we really started to push <laughs> was around like October. So she's had really good growth. But mostly it's not because of it's not because there's something it's not for the fact that, you know, there's lacking anything like really profound. She is profound. Her music is profound. Her gift is profound. And I think that's complimenting our push, you know, cause there's something to see, mm -hmm. there's something to experience. And so I think it's going to continue to grow because there haven't been many examples of her in history or so, history, her history. <laughs> so, so, uh, what is the what is the ultimate goal for you and and kind of in connection with what you were just talking about how do you feed that goal or how do you how do you work with Christopher to help you get to that goal and the goal could be you know i just want to play classical music and get paid to do it my whole life or the goal could be something else very basically um 
and I don't know if this could sound actually from the outside could probably just sound very self-centered and sort of um, self-satisfying. But I just really want to be able to play the violin for as long as possible, physically and emotionally. But I can't do that if I don't actually have a job doing it. I can't be of because violinists who don't get paid are homeless. Right. So so Chris can help me to solidify the de- definitiveness of my playing the violin until I cannot anymore. Well, on that note, I would we would love to hear you perform. Yay. And we would be so privileged to hear you perform. Would and our listeners would. would be so privileged. And you're welcome. To hear you perform. <laughs> Thank you, Christopher. Thank you, Ty. <laughs> Thank you. Um, may we hear you perform? Of course. And what would you like to play for us today? I will play um, a small snippet from Beethoven's exhilarating violin concerto, Sansa Orchestra. Oh, my God. Okay. Here we go. Mrs. Ty Murray. Miss Ty Murray playing the violin concerto from Beethoven. Thank you. 
Okay. <laughs> no, no. Now play the Chrysler cadenza. Please, please, just give it to him. Please. Okay, I'll try. Okay. Oh, please, you know you got this. Now wait for this. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> or Tchaikovsky, either one. Okay, no, that's better. Do Tchaikovsky. Okay, do Tchaikovsky. No. Give it to him. Okay, one last thing. The last, wait, 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 listen. The last 45 seconds of the first movement of of uh, the um, the corn gold. Oh my you know God, the one that's on YouTube. No, 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 please, please, please. Because he missed the concert. So I want to hear that. Okay, now this is this is a treat, okay? Ready? My job is done. Okay. My job is done. Okay. Amazing. Um.
Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Thanks, Tiger. Like, why? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> oh, man, you must be sweaty. I am. <laughs> that was physically intense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That was... Oh, thank that you. was incredible, Ty. Thank you for listening. Thank you. <laughs> thank you not only for performing, but talking with us today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Really. And that wasn't even a warm up. <laughs> it felt like a warm up. It felt like I worked out. I'm sweating. She's that good. Um, how can people get a hold of you? Um, how can they uh, follow you and learn more about you? They can find me on Instagram at Ty Murray Violin. Um, they can find me on Facebook at Violins in Style. Um, and certainly on Solar as an influencer. Amazing. Thank you. We're so proud to have you as part of the family. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Solar Stories is presented by Solar Inc. You can find more about solar at solar.com. Copyright 2019. Solar Inc. All rights reserved. Thank you for listening.